how to have great faith. How do you know? There's a number of times Jesus was impressed with people's faith. And uh, if you want to know, sometimes people think, you know, I could never have great faith. I could never be kind of that person. Maybe someone else can. Maybe a minister can. Maybe my pastor can. But I, you know, I'm just me. I'm, I'm not going to be someone who has great faith. I want you to understand and see tonight that having great faith is not as hard as we've made it out to be. I think we've complicated faith. We've made it a lot harder uh, and a lot, a, lot, a lot more of a challenge. There's a lot of people that are struggling to get a hold of faith and they're thinking, oh, am I in faith? Is, is this faith? I remember years ago, a minister that I studied under was looking at the, the armor of God where it says, take the shield of faith. And he says this, he says, if we are supposed to take the shield of faith, then we should be able to recognize it. We should be able to know what it is. You're never going to suddenly take something, pick it up, grab it. If you don't even know what it is, and 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 a lot of people are wondering, am I in faith? Is my faith working? And half the time, it's because we've complicated faith. Uh, the good news is, you whether you believe it or not, you might not realize it right now, but you can have great faith right now. If you listen and get a hold of what I'm going to show you tonight from the Word of God uh, in this passage about Jesus healing. Uh, these cases of healing, you'll realize great faith is not as hard as we might think it is. And to be honest with you, we can all, and we should all be walking in great faith. I believe that God, God believes more of us than we believe of ourselves. And uh, you're going to realize this is not as difficult as, as, as you think it is. Now we've been studying the different cases of healing. Uh, we started off looking at the cases where people approached Jesus. They came to Jesus. And we've got two more of those left, which we'll be looking at this week, next week. And if it overflows into one more week after that, we'll do that. Uh, and then we're going to be looking at the cases where Jesus went to the sick people. And we're going to learn some very powerful other principles from, from those passages. But the passage, the cases we've been studying are the people who came to Jesus. And we've seen that these passages put a, give us a lot more detail about the sick person, what they did, what they said, uh, and how they approached God, and maybe how Jesus had to adjust their approach where necessary. So, and, and when we look at the other passages where Jesus went to the sick person, you're going to notice they don't put as much emphasis on the sick person. They emphasize other things. So if you want to open your Bibles, and, and I hope you've got your Bibles with us, I, I want to encourage you, this is a Bible study. When you join us for these, please look these up in, in, your, in the scriptures. Treat this as a live Bible study, even if you're watching the recordings afterwards. Let's, uh, let's turn to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8, we're going to look at the passage of the centurion who came to Jesus. Uh, this passage this week and the one we're going to do next week are probably a, a lot more familiar, but we're still going to learn some very powerful and awesome things out of them. Uh, hello, for the, for when you've just said hello there on the comments, thank you. Um, now, as I said, we're in Matthew chapter 8. We're going to be looking at the centurion who came to Jesus. And, uh, you know, what we're going to see is in this passage and the one we're going to study next, the final two of the people who approached Jesus, Jesus said both of these people had great faith. So I've left these for last as we've learned the principles of faith, as we've learned the principles of approaching God. We want to now understand what is it going to take to have great faith, the kind of faith that God wants us to have and is, 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 believes we can and should be walking in. One of the things you're going to see about these cases is both of these people were Gentiles. The only two people that Jesus commented they had great faith were not Jews. 
I'll say more about that shortly. But that, that's, that's quite a surprise because, you know, the Jews at the time of Jesus, they were God's covenant people. They, they were the people who had the word of God. Salvation was not available to anyone else until the cross. And so as Jesus walked this earth, his ministry was to the Jews. These were the, the people who had the scriptures. They had the law. They had the word of God. They had centuries of history of God working in their nation. As I said, they had a covenant. They had the promise through Abraham. The Jews had all of this. And yet it took two Gentiles for Jesus to, to say they had great faith. Now, the Gentiles, they had no covenant. They had no promise. They had nothing, nothing from God guaranteeing anything for them at this stage. That only came later through the cross. And yet both of these two Gentiles were able to receive from Jesus. Um, and despite having no promise, no covenant, nothing. And that's amazing. I just think that's absolutely incredible. We'll say more about that next week as we look at the other one of these. But uh, let's, let's have a look at this in Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8 and verse 5. Now, this particular passage is covered in two Gospels. It's covered in Matthew and in Luke. I will make some references to Luke's uh, account of it uh, in a moment because he says some things that Matthew doesn't quite bring in. But um, Matthew chapter 8, verse 5, we'll read this one step at a time as we study it. So I'm not going to read the whole thing right away. But Matthew 8, verse 5 says, Now, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. Now, this is interesting because when you look at it in Matthew, this doesn't quite fit all the different things we've studied so far because this man's approach to Jesus didn't show any faith yet. Now, faith comes in later. But his request is what I've been referring to as a neutral request. He just says, my servant is lying at home, at home paralyzed and dreadfully tormented. He doesn't show at this stage any confidence in Jesus. He doesn't show any faith in his words. And yet immediately Jesus said, I will come and heal him. Now, that might be puzzling initially until we look at this in Luke's gospel and it starts to add in some other principles that we've not covered yet and that we'll be covering only properly in a few weeks' time. So I'm going to read this to you out of Luke chapter 7. Uh, Luke chapter 7 and verse 7 says this. Now, when he had concluded all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. And a, centurion, a certain centurion's servant who was dear, dear to him was sick and ready to die. So when he heard about Jesus, he sent elders of the Jews to, to him, to Jesus, pleading with him to come and heal his servant. Now, Matthew said the servant, the, the centurion came himself. Uh, Luke talks about the fact that he sent people on his, to, to request on his behalf. And that's not really a contradiction. You see, the message at the end of the day, it was the centurion saying these things. Uh, but Luke brings in the fact that he, he asked the Jews, some of the elders of the Jews, to come to Jesus. And he explains a little bit while later on. But um, he, he, he sent the elders of the Jews to him. It was still him saying the message, come and help. Okay. But um, and, and says here in verse four says, and when they, this is the elders of the Jews, when they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying that the one for whom he should do this was deserving. In other words, the, the Jews said to Jesus, this man, this centurion who's asked us to come and request this of you, he is deserving of this. 
Uh, and then he says, for he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. Then it says in verse six, then Jesus went with them. And Matthew doesn't bring that part out. And it's, it, it is an interesting point that I'm not going to properly explain tonight. We'll come back to later on. I'll make this point, though. Um, out of the cases of the ministry of Jesus, so far I've referenced the fact that they are the people who came to Jesus. We've been studying those. There are the people that Jesus went to. There's actually a third group as well. And this one falls a little bit under the third group. It's a very small group. But there is a third group of people who were healed under the ministry of Jesus where the people were healed because of the intercession of other people. In other words, other people made the request on behalf of the sick person. I think there's three cases plus this one borders into that a little bit. So right at the end of all these teachings, we're going to be looking at that, that third category of, of, of praying on behalf of someone else. We'll look at, and there's, there's a third set of principles involved in that. There's a set of principles involved when you approach God. There's a set of principles involved when God approaches you. And there is a, a, a separate third category of people of, of asking on behalf of someone else, what we would call intercession. And, and and it's a smaller category. It's it's only three people. In other words, it's not the, the it's not the way the majority of people are going to be healed. But I'll just advertise now that that we're going to be coming to that and studying that. But in in fact, it's interesting. Every time that a group of people ask Jesus on behalf of someone else to come and come and heal. See, Peter's wife's mother, mother-in-law, the disciples asked Jesus to heal her. Um, there was the blind, the, the deaf man with the speech impediment. A group of people brought him and asked on his behalf. And that one's interesting because I've had people say to me, you know, how, did, how is somebody who's, for example, in a coma, how are they supposed to have faith to receive healing? Well, the answer is in the third category, intercession. God has allowed a category where other people can pray on behalf of the sick person. I've had people say to me, you know, what about a person who can't speak and is deaf? Well, that one's actually in the Bible. You can't speak, so you can't confess faith. You can't hear, so you can't hear the word to build faith. Is there a way for that person to be able to be healed? Yes, there is. God, God's got every base covered. It is possible. There are times when a group asked on behalf uh, of the sick person, and and we will study that at a later point. I don't want to get into that tonight, but I just want you to be aware that there is that category, and we will have a look at it. So anyway, the group of Jews asked on behalf of this uh, Roman centurion, and due to their request, and they gave reasons, they backed up reasons, and that's part of it, why? And you'll even see in the book of Acts, there's a case where uh, a woman was raised from the dead because the people asked Jesus, and they, they interceded on her behalf, Dorcas. But um, Jesus came, he said, I'll come and heal him. Now, let's go back to Matthew's account and let's look at what happens next with this man. Um, Matthew chapter 8 again and verse, verse, uh, verse 7 is the one we read. It says, and Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. Verse 8 says, the centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof. But only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I am a man, for I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. Now, we'll study the, what the centurion said a little bit later tonight. But first, I want to see Jesus' response and, and what Jesus said here. Verse 10 says this, when Jesus heard it, when Jesus heard what this, this man said about, I'm not worthy, you should come under my roof, just speak a word. 
and my servant will be healed. When Jesus heard it, see, this is where faith suddenly got involved in, in what the centurion said at this stage. When Jesus heard it, he marveled. He marveled. Marvel means almost wow. That, that's impressive. You see, something about this man impressed Jesus. To marvel is to go, wow, wow, that is amazing. And Jesus marveled at this man. Now, not many things in the Gospels caused Jesus to be amazed and marveled. Every time he marveled, it was either because of great faith or because of unbelief. It's nothing else that the Bible says he was like, wow. Jesus didn't look at the, the woman caught in adultery and go, wow, that's a bad sin. It doesn't say he marveled at how bad her sin was. But over and over, you see, Jesus marveled at faith or he marveled at unbelief. He was amazed when people were in unbelief. And so he's impressed with this man. Jesus, this is a positive marveling. He is impressed with this man. And um, that's why I, one of the things I want to talk to, to today is almost a, we could say how to impress God with great faith. You want to impress God with your faith. You want God to be marveled and go, wow, that's incredible faith. This year, um, he marveled. Jesus marveled and said to those who followed. He didn't say this to the man or to the man's representatives. He said this to the crowd who was with him, the people who were following him. And I'll mention, say something about that in just a moment. He marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. Uh, and uh, and then it, 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 it basically some other things happen. And in verse 13, it says, then Jesus said to the centurion, go your way. And as you have believed, as you have believed, there's faith again. In other words, according to your faith, that's what Jesus said to the blind man, according to your faith, be it unto you. Here he says, as you have believed. So let it be. So let it be done for you. So Jesus says, shows that this man received according to that faith, and says, and his servant was healed that same hour. Didn't take days, months, years, or decades. Happened right away. But I want to, uh, first of all, I just want to look at Jesus' reaction. Um, it's quite interesting here because Jesus, Jesus is marvelled. He's amazed at this man's faith. He, he's impressed. And Jesus, he turns to the crowd. Now you've got to realize this, this man was a Gentile, as I said. He, was, he had no covenant. He had no promise. He didn't have the word of God. He didn't have the sacrifices. He didn't have the day of atonement. He didn't have the temple, the tabernacle. He didn't have Abraham as his father. He had nothing, none of the basis of relationship with God in the Old Testament. This man had none of it. And yet he was able to impress Jesus with faith to a level that no one else was able to. That is impressive. And um, uh, Jesus, Jesus turns to the crowd. He turns to the other people and he says, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. Now, when he said not even in Israel, that was the people he was talking to. In other words, he's saying, I have not seen that kind of faith amongst any of you. Now, there's a rebuke in that. He's telling them off. He's not just saying to the centurion, wow, I'm impressed with your faith. He's saying to the other people. I have not found that kind of faith amongst you. And, 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 and I believe there's a rebuke in that because Jesus should have found that kind of faith amongst all of them. This is the group of people. Israel, as I've said, this Israel were the ones who had the word of God. They had the scriptures. They went to synagogue all the time. I had someone ask me uh, about two weeks ago, how did the woman with the issue of blood 
know that touching Jesus' garment would, was coming into contact with his anointing? Was, did she? Did God give that a revelation to her? And I said to him, no. I said, everybody, all the Jews in Jesus' time were word people. They went to the synagogue. Due to their captivity in Babylon 400 years before, studying the scriptures had become part of Jewish culture. Before that, they had always slipped back into idolatry. They had become a people who spent time in the word. Going to the synagogue, knowing the scriptures was part of Jewish culture by Jesus' time. Every Jew would have known the Old Testament and the different passages and different things going on. The woman with the issue of blood knew that the, the Jesus' garment represented the anointing because she would have known about Elijah and Elisha and the prophet's mantle. And the Jews were sitting under the scriptures week after week, hearing the scriptures read in the synagogues. And, and we know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And yet, despite how much they were hearing the word, they did not have great faith. I mean, and, and in fact, everywhere Jesus went in Israel, he kept encountering unbelief. So the problem was not that they were in unbelief because they didn't know the scriptures. The problem was that there was something else holding their faith back. And it, it took a centurion, it took a Gentile who, to be honest with you, we have no indication, no knowledge that this man sat for years studying the Bible and, and developing his faith. See, there's a lot of Christians these days that want, you know, I, I want to get a hold of great faith. So I've got to, you know, maybe it'll take me 20 years to study the word. So to get my faith great, you need to understand this. It's not how long you spend in the word that's going to determine whether you have great faith. It's how receptive your heart is to that word. It's the, the meekness by which you receive the word. It's the attitude by which you receive the word. You can get great faith in one hearing of the word of God if your, heart, if your heart's right for it. Every one of you listening right now from today forward can have great faith. You can make a decision that I'm going to act in, in accordance with faith every day, every prayer, all the time. And you could walk in great faith. See, but Jesus rebuked the Israelites. He said, I've not found this kind of faith amongst you. Now, I, 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 I really would hate for God to say that about us as the church. It's, it's, it's all good and well to point a finger at Israel. Israel through the wilderness. Israel this and Israel that in the Old Testament. All the bad things they did. Those things are in the Bible for as an example to us. And a lot of the time, the church is, is in these kind of situations. You know, the church is not necessarily at the level of faith that God expects. There's a scripture in Hebrews which says, um, Hebrews 5 says, For when for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again. And what God is saying in that passage is you should be further along than you are. I believe that every one of us, God, God looks at us and says, you, you really could be a lot further along in your faith life. But you see, part of the problem, and this isn't, I'm not saying this to condemn people. I, I want you to begin to realize. I want you to get a vision to begin to believe I can I can have great faith. I can get further along. I can take some leaps forward in my faith from today, from the principles that I've been teaching you in this series. When I did that one on how to approach God, and I've talked about putting faith in your requests. Don't just ask God, God, please heal me. You need to, every time you pray, fill your requests with God. I have confidence in you. I believe you're the healer. And I believe that when I pray, you answer me. I come to you based upon the blood of Jesus. According to how Hebrews said, we approach him with a, heart, a right heart and a full assurance of faith. If we put these principles into practice that I've been teaching you, you're going to have great faith. It's not complicated.
This is there's no when we look at this this man's faith, which we're going to do in a moment. You're going to realize this. There's no secret ingredient that he had that no one else has ever had. Most of the things that you're going to see in this man's faith, we've seen before through the different cases we've studied so far. There's no new thing here that suddenly went whoa. That's how he got great faith because nobody else had that characteristic. No, every the principles of faith are simple. They're easy. We just got to do them. A lot of the times, one of the reasons we're not stepping into great faith is because we know things, we're not doing them. As I've been teaching you in the last few weeks, and I've said to you, put faith in your requests. When you approach God, fill your requests with faith. Come with a heart of humility. Show characteristics of determination not uh, and, and a decision. I'm not going to quit no matter what. All of these things we've talked about, you put these into practice every time you pray and approach God, you'll find you've got great faith. It's that simple. It's, it's not harder than that. It's simple. Okay? So G Jesus expected Israel to have great faith. But you see, they, they, their hearts were hardened to the word. They were not receptive to some things, and that's why they were not where they should have been. But I'm not going to really go into the hard heart side of it today. I want, I want to talk the positive side that, that the, of the potential for having great faith. Every one of you, you put the principles into practice. Great faith is the answer. Great faith is the result. So let's look at this man's faith. Let's have a quick look at uh, the characteristics of what comes out in this man's faith. So if we look at Matthew chapter 8 and verse 8, Matthew chapter 8 and verse 8 says that this is, this is all this man said. Before this, it had been the his request was neutral. It was through the elders, the Jews, as we saw in Luke. Before this, there was no faith. So all of this man's faith is shown in two verses, eight and nine. And this is all that it took for Jesus to say, that's what I need. My answer is this. If you, if you listen carefully to what I said last week, I said that speaking words is an action. Sometimes there is no more action necessary than your words. Only, only as if, 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 if you need to be determined, if there's opposition and you have to show determination that other actions might kick in, or if the Holy Spirit leads you in another action, or if for what the particular thing you believe in God for, there's a word-based action. But a lot of the time, it's your words. Your faith is shown in your words a lot of the time. All this man did... Everything that shows his faith is, is found in verse 8 and 9. And what, what he says in verse 8 and 9 was enough for Jesus to say this man has great faith. And that's powerful. He didn't sit and confess the word for 14 years. By stripes I'm healed. By stripes I'm healed. I believe in speaking, confessing the word. But this man doesn't do this. This is two verses he says, and Jesus goes, wow, that's great faith right there. Jesus was able to recognize it. So let's look at this. You, if you get a hold of what this man says in these two verses, your faith can be great today. Jesus, Matthew chapter 8 and verse 8. The centurion answered and said, now let's see what he says here. Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof. Now let's pause there. I'm going to break this down. Actually, let me read the next statement. I'll come back to that one in a second. Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. Let's focus on that phrase first. My servant will be healed. We've seen this over and over and over again in this series so far. And the people who approach Jesus Jairus, he said, lay your hands on her, she will live. The woman with the issue of blood said, if I can just touch him, I will be healed. 
over and over and over again. These are positive statements. Now, it's not just the positive side. It's, it's it, what these statements show is confidence in God. These people didn't talk in a way that says, well, I'm not sure if God will do it or maybe or maybe it'll happen. Maybe it won't happen. Uh, or let's see what happens if when Jesus speaks. You see, re modern religion, that's how they teach us to talk about God. They, they, modern religion gets offended when you say talk about God with confidence. Say, Father, I know that when I pray, you will hear me. I know that when I pray, you will respond. I have confidence in you father god See, that's how that's how faith talks with confidence this man he says this only speak a word and my servant will be healed that <coughs> excuse me that's the first point i want you to see is is his absolute confidence there's no question no doubt no uncertainty in what he says he is absolutely assured that what, if jesus releases that word that his servant will be healed point one Absolute confidence in, in Jesus there. Now, the second point, let's go back slightly in the phrase to what, what I mentioned a moment ago. Let's read the first thing that he says in verse 8. Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof. Now, this is this this brings up another point. And it, it's a, it, like I said, it's not a new point. We've seen this one already. And this is the point of humility. Humility. First thing, he calls him Lord. Lord. Now, let's, let's for a moment, Lord, I'm not worthy. Let's for a moment to talk about who this man was. He was a centurion, Roman centurion. Now, if you know anything about the Romans, the Romans was, were, were probably about the most racist culture that's ever been. They, they were superior conscious. Everything about them had the attitude, we are better than everybody else. It was very inbred into the Roman way of thinking that we are better. We, we, we you know, we are the conquerors. The, this is the, these are the, the the armies that had crossed Europe and conquered everywhere they went. And the Romans, not only did they think they were the most amazing people ever, they also had a very low opinion of the Jews. The Jews were the bottom of the pile in the eyes of the Romans. Okay? I'm not saying they were the bottom of the pile. I'm saying as, as far as Romans were concerned, the Jews were, you had, you had the Romans, you had everybody else, and then right at the bottom, you had the Jews. They really did not think very highly of the Jewish people. And yet a Roman centurion comes to a Jew and says to him, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof. You cannot pass these words over without recognizing the humility in this man. This man recognized the limitations of his own authority, and he recognized some things about Jesus. And it's, his humility kicked in there. Uh, rather than being racist, rather than the typical Roman, I'm a Roman centurion. Um, you come to my house now. You do what I say because you're under us. We're the rulers around here. No, he didn't approach like that at all. He could have done. And we saw this, we've seen this before. He could have approached based upon who he was and, and impressed. I'm a Roman centurion. You know, we saw this last uh, last week or the week before with Jairus. Jairus was the ruler of the synagogue. And Jairus could have come to Jesus and said, Jesus, I am the ruler of the synagogue. You come and heal and I will make your ministry great in this town because I'm somebody. If you do something for me, I'll do something for you, Jesus. 
Many people try to impress God with who they are in the natural. God's not impressed. He's not the least bit impressed whatsoever. It doesn't make any difference to God whether you sleep on the street or whether you sleep on, on, on a bed made out of pure gold, platinum, and diamonds and silk sheets. It really makes no difference to God. God's not impressed in the least bit. The only thing that God matters to God is approaching him with a humble heart, a right, pure heart, and faith. God doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't care what you've achieved in the natural, how rich you are, how poor you are, your education, your social status. It means nothing. And I'm going to say this again because I want these principles to, to really get up into you as we as we come to the end of the people who approach Jesus. That that what matters to God is faith. And we've mentioned this before. I call faith the great equalizer. Faith puts everybody on an equal standing with God. Doesn't matter your social social status, your education. Doesn't matter if you're illiterate. Doesn't matter if you were born on whatever the wrong side of town. There is no wrong side of town in God's eyes. Everybody starts on the same potential and the same level. The only problem comes when people try to rely on who they are in the natural. To, to get them status with God. There is only one factor by which we approach God, and that is saying, God, I can't do this myself, which is why I'm dependent upon the blood of Jesus. I come to you by the blood of Jesus. I come to you based upon who Jesus is, what Jesus did, not based upon me and what I've done and who I am. Doesn't matter who I am. Doesn't matter whether I think I've sin lots this week or, or whether I haven't done any sin whatsoever. See, the, the, Jesus told a passage about a, a Pharisee and, a, and, a, and a, a man who went to the synagogue to pray. And the Pharisee, it says these, I think it's in Luke 18. The Pharisee says, I thank God I'm not like this man over here. I've, I pay tithes and I come to temple and I do this. And, 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 and he went on and on about me and what I do. And then the, the, the other man just hung his head low and he said, God, I'm not worthy. I just don't deserve this. And, 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 and he didn't rely on who he was. And Jesus said this, that that man, not the Pharisee, went home justified before God. Many people want to rely on how good they are, how impressive they are. And, and, and when it comes to healing, you know, people say, well, God should heal me because I go to church three times a week. No, no, you got it wrong. God doesn't heal you because you went to church three times a week. Okay, God heals you because of the cross and your confidence in Jesus. People say, I don't understand why that person wasn't healed because, you know, they pray every day. They read their Bibles. They, they, such a, they do so many things in church. They volunteer. I don't understand why they didn't get their prayers answered. Because those are not the things that get your prayers answered. What gets your prayers answered is faith. Faith, confidence in God. So this man did not come and say, look at me and who I am. You do this for me. I'm a Roman centurion. You know, I could I could introduce you to Caesar or whatever. No, none of that. Okay. We we need to we need to get this out of our mentality. You don't don't ever say to God, Lord, you should heal me because I, you know, I, I go to church every week. You should heal me because I pray. Oh God, you should on no, don't even have that attitude. Built into us needs to be the the hard attitude of everything God does for me is by his grace and by his mercy. And it's not because of me and who I am and what I've done, what I've achieved, or who I am in the natural. It's all because of Jesus. See, that is a humility of heart. What you see in this Roman centurion, not only is the confidence in Jesus, there is humility. 
he had a, an absolute humility, a humble heart, contrary to everything else about what was normally expected of Roman centurions. His humility of heart got Jesus' attention. The fact that he said, Lord, I'm not even worthy that you should come under my roof. Most, most centurions probably would have said, you're not worthy to come to my house. He, this man said the other thing. He said, I'm not worthy for you to come to my house, Lord. Okay. So humility here in this man. This is what it's going to take to have great faith. You, if you look at this, you can see this is, not, this is not as complicated as we think it is. This is simple. Every principle in this passage we've talked about to some degree in this series so far. Absolute confidence in Jesus. Speak the word, she will be healed. Lord, I am not worthy. I don't come based upon me. For us today as Christians, that would be us saying, I come by the blood of Jesus. I come into your presence, Father. See, this is how I pray. This I'm learning to do this more and more. When I pray, I start off and I say, Father, I come to you based upon Jesus. I come to you by the blood. I come to you through what Jesus did, through his flesh, through the, what, the broken body and the blood shed on the cross. Every time I pray, I'm learning to do this more and more. Father, I don't come relying upon who I am. I don't come because I've done any great this week. I don't come because I've impressed you this week. I come because of Jesus. And I humble myself before you now. And if that means you get on your knees, you get on your knees. Whatever it is. But I humble myself before you and I acknowledge that everything you do for me is by your grace and mercy. And it's because of Jesus. And then I begin to say, and Father, I know that you're a loving God who answers my prayers. I know that you're a loving God who wants to do things for me. And I have confidence in you. I believe your word. I believe that you are God, the giver. I believe that you are God, the healer. You want to answer my prayer. Right there, right there. Those are the things that are involved in great faith. That's the, the, these are the first two characteristics we've seen in this man. You want great faith? Do that every time you pray. Start to make that the, 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 the way you, you approach God and pray. You'll start to impress God because not a lot of people do it like that. Okay? So this man came humbly, recognizing his own limitations. He recognized it doesn't matter how much authority I have in the natural. I'm a Roman centurion, but my authority is limited here. It's, it's based upon Jesus. I, you know, just I'm, I'm going to say I, I do that when I teach as well. You know, help some of you here with different things. Do this in every area of your life. Some of the Bible school students that I've taught to, listening to these, might have heard me say this before. But you know, I've learned that when I when I every time I teach, and I, I'm stirring myself up on this again. I used to do this so much when I first started preaching and teaching the word, but I'm doing it even more. I, I before I preach, before I teach, and I do this before these live sessions as well. I, I, I say to God, Father God, I, I'm not a great impressive teacher in my own abilities it's not I, I you know i've taught for 20 years i've preached but that's that's not what makes me a great teacher the only thing that makes me a great teacher is the fact that you have given me a gift and a grace it's because of you do that learn to do that with every area of your life that humility of heart is such a powerful characteristic of great faith You'll see this next time in the passage we look at, and the next time you'll see humility again. Every time, humility is a major factor in great faith. Now let's look at let's look at the next thing here with this man. So we've seen first of all he showed absolute confidence. He showed humility. 
He humbled himself. He didn't come depending upon who he was, but he came depending upon the fact that, Lord, I'm just, I've got, I'm just relying on you. Uh, let's look at the next part of this here. I'm just scrolling this down. Matthew chapter 8, verse 8 and 9. Let's read this again. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof. That's the humility we've just talked about. But only speak a word and my servant will be healed. There's a will be healed, that confidence. But notice this one, only speak a word. And then that goes with verse nine. It says, for I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. Now, notice this. As I've said, everything that we know about this man's great faith is in these two verses. There's nothing else in the passage that shows this man's faith. And right after this, Jesus said, that's great faith right there. So if you want to know what great faith is, we look in these two verses and to see what comes out. We've seen humility. We've seen confidence in Jesus. But now the next thing he says is only speak a word. Now, remember, way back earlier on in our studies, we looked at the nobleman. Remember, the nobleman came to Jesus desperate for his eyes were focused on the crisis. And Jesus said to talk to him about unless you people see signs and wonders, you'll by no means believe. And then the man didn't quite get it. And then and then Jesus spoke a word. See, the man had said, Jesus, come with me. And Jesus said, no, I'm not. Well, he didn't say this, but I'm not going with you. But what I will do is I'm going to speak. And, and, and he spoke a word. And, 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 the, and it says the man believed that word. Uh, absolute confidence in the word, confidence in the power and authority of the word of God. This is what's going to take to get great faith. This this centurion, nobody, nobody taught the centurion the power of the spoken word and the power of God saying something. See, many times, many times people struggle to receive from God. They don't have a confidence in how powerful a spoken word is. I remember um, uh, one of my Bible school instructors many years ago when I was at Bible school said this. He says that, that the, you know, most people struggle to receive healing by the spoken word. They, most people receive healing a lot easier by the laying on of hands. Now, the laying on of hands is a legitimate method that God heals people by. But you see, most people cannot quite connect in their mind and in their heart that when you say, be healed in Jesus' name, that is enough. Most people think, you know, oh, well, you know, when a hand is laid on and that's when the power goes in. And as a church, we rely a lot on that method, but not a lot of people <laughs> have much confidence in the power of God saying something and that being enough. And the reason I believe we struggle with that is because we don't really have a lot of confidence in the word of God. We say we do. But, but, you know, over and over in the word of God, when God in Genesis, when God created this world, he said, let there be light. And that was that was enough. His word brought that into existence. Uh, Hebrews 11 talks about by faith. We understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. The, the, the word, the spoken word of God carries power. See, when the angel came to Mary and said to her, you're going to have a child. Uh, and, and Mary basically said, look, you know, she wasn't doubting. She was just curious. How is it going to happen? She said, I don't have a man. I'm a virgin. You know, how, how am I going to have a baby? Now, there was no doubt in her question. She was curious. 
She just wanted to know how is that going to happen. And the angel, if you really look at the angel's answer and you study the original Greek, I'll summarize it. The angel basically said this. You're going to have a baby because God said you're going to have a baby. That's basically what the angel said. Nothing's impossible for God. And every word of God contains within itself the power to fulfill itself. When God's word is spoken, there's enough power in that spoken word to, 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 to creatively change situations, to put a virgin, to, to put a virgin, to put a baby in a virgin's womb, to bring light to the universe, to, to you know, and you look at the ministry of Jesus, Jesus used words. Everywhere he went, there is power and authority in words. Now, great faith has confidence in that power and authority of the word of God and the, the spoken word. This is another thing. This man showed only speak a word. That's all I need. I don't need you to come and do some great thing. I don't need you to come all the way to my house, lay hands on her and do some external demonstration. You see, he, this man had enough confidence in the power of the spoken word to believe that that would be enough to get his result. Jesus wasn't even next to the, 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 sick, the, the sick servant. He, was, he wasn't at the house yet. This servant knew that all Jesus had to do was say that word. I remember years ago, I was ministering in a church. I was preaching. It was quite a religious church. And to be honest with you, they weren't that receptive to what I taught on. I taught on God's a good God. And you know, they got quite offended at that. I've always thought, you know, what did you want me to say? God's a bad God. I didn't really know what they expected me to say. But they didn't like me teaching on the fact that God's a good God. And I never got invited back to that church. Bless them. But um, I remember at the end of the service, toward the end of the service, I was finishing teaching and all the elders of the church were sitting looking at me very angry for how dare I preach that in that church. I actually had a woman, a, 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 a woman pastor once come up to me, storm up to me after the service and say right in front of her, her whole crowd, how dare you preach that in my church? <laughs> it's amazing how people respond to the word of God. But anyway, that's another story. But this, this one, um, this one church I was in, I finished preaching on God's a good God, and they, they, they were not receptive at all. And they, and, and they didn't want me to do a healing line. They didn't want me to lay hands on the people. And I just, I had to, I thought quickly, I thought, you know what, I, I'm not coming. They're not going to invite me back here. And I just want to minister. So I just, I just, before they could do anything, I just said, is there anyone here who wants me to pray for you? Now, I knew I couldn't bring them up the front. I couldn't lay hands. In fact, they had said to me, we don't do that in this church. So this woman at the back stuck her hand up. And, and, and um, you know, she wanted, I didn't even know what it was she wanted because I had asked anyone for healing. And as she stuck her hand up, I just, before the elders, before anyone could stop the thing, I just turned to her and I said, in the name of Jesus, be healed. And I closed the service. I didn't say anything else, didn't do anything else whatsoever. And closed the service, came down and, you know, and this woman came running up to me afterwards. And she said, you know, when you said that, and they were opposite sides of the church. She said, she said, it's like you said that something hit me so hard and just went straight through me. She said, I felt the power of God. She said, I didn't even know there was such a thing. I've never heard of this in church before. Okay. And the power of God hit her with that spoken word. See, we need to have confidence. This centurion had confidence in the spoken word. Now, you look at the ministry of Jesus, how Jesus used words. Everywhere Jesus went, when the storm came up, he rebuked the storm. What does it mean to rebuke the storm? It, it doesn't say he spoke to God about the storm. It says he rebuked the storm. Storm, I rebuke you. Okay. Um, and other situations, he rebuked demons. And there's times he, with Peter's wife's mother-in-law, which we'll look at later on, it says he rebuked the fever. 
it is no it's a rebuke as it was spoken he spoke to that fever um and the power of his words the fig tree over and over you see jesus one day he came and he saw a fig tree fig tree didn't have figs on and he just spoke to no man's ever going to eat fruits of you ever again just said it and he walked off he didn't spend four hours praying by the fig tree that it wouldn't produce fruits anymore he spoke that word and he walked off and he had confidence in what he said and then the next day when him and his disciples came back past the tree that that tree was dying it was, it was visibly dead. And the disciples were like, whoa, look, Jesus, the tree you spoke to is dying. And that's where Jesus then turned around and spoke to them and said to them, yes, and you can do what was done to this fig tree. And not only that, he said, if you speak to that mountain, that mountain will move. You say to that mountain. And he taught them about the power and authority of words. Okay. And so, you know, I, I don't think, I don't think this Roman centurion, anyone had taught him about the spiritual power of authority of words, but he was a military man. He knew the power of command and his, his confidence in the power of command comes out as part of the characteristics of his great faith. He said, Jesus, all you need to do is speak a word. All you need to do is give a command. That is all it's going to take. In that, he is saying, I recognize, Jesus, you have authority over sickness. I recognize that you are Lord and you have authority in, that, in the realm of the spirit to say things. And they'll be obeyed. See, he showed confidence. And, and, and he did this. He says, I, in verse 9, I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. See, this man was a military man. I find it amazing that it took a, a military man to understand great faith. Because what do people in the military know? The people in the military know the power of a command. I don't know if any of you have ever been in the army or something. I mean, you know, I remember going to cadets at school. But what I know about the army is you, you, you do as you're told. You're given a command, you do it. You don't, you don't question it, okay? And this Roman centurion understood that. He understood when I say to my soldiers, you go into battle and you do this. They don't stand there and say, oh, but I don't feel like doing it. Okay. He understood that when, when, when the drill sergeant comes in in the morning and at 5 a.m. and says, everybody wake up, up you get out of bed, that, that some of them lie, don't roll over and pull their pillow over there and say, I don't feel like going out of bed. I want to sleep here for another hour. hour. I'll join you guys later. That doesn't happen in the army. In the army, when a command's given, you obey or you're in trouble. That's how it works. This man understood command. He knew the power and authority of a command. And because he had absolute confidence in that, when he said to Jesus, I know that the same authority I have as a military man to give a command and it will be obeyed. The people under me, when I say to them, you run into battle. If I say to them, you guys are on the front line, you run into battle headlong. And if you die, you die tough. You are the front line. And this is what I want you to do. They don't stand there and say, oh, no, we don't feel like doing that. He was a military man. He knew they do as they told it, even if I send them into their death. Okay. And if they don't do as they told, they get put in a fire, front of a firing squad and they die anyway. <laughs> okay. So this man, the military trains people to, obey, to follow commands and to, to, to obey and do as they told. 
And this man, because he knew how powerful a command was and that a command will be carried out, he understood, Jesus, you have authority in a realm. I do not have authority. I have authority over natural soldiers. You have authority over sickness and disease. And I have confidence that when you release a command, that will be obeyed. Many people do not have that level of confidence in words. They, they, they taught, we taught to speak the word of God, put the word of God on our mouth, declare what the word says about you. Some people, they're doing it parrot fashion, almost like, oh, you know, my pastor taught me to, I must confess the word, bias trials, I'm healed, bias trials, I'm healed, bias trials, I'm healed, yeah, I know. My God shall supply my need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And they're rattling it off. But, you know, they don't really actually have confidence that those words, the word of God spoken through our mouths carries authority and power and uh, to do something, okay? The reason this man had great faith was his humility, his confidence in Jesus, and his absolute assurance in the authority of a spoken word. Now, one of the things, one of the commissions that God gave on my life was to focus on the word of God. The, everything behind my teaching, everything that motivates me in ministry is to draw people back to the word of God. And I do a lot of teaching on the word of God. And to be honest with you, the articles on my website, I noticed that some of the, the least read articles are the ones about the word of God. People, you know, read the ones about how to get me out of a crisis. And that's great. I want to help you out of a crisis too with what I teach. But I've noticed that in the church, a lot of people are not that interested in hearing about the value and power and importance of the word of God in my life anymore. People just don't seem to really be that interested in reading those articles. But you see, we need to have confidence in the power of the word of God. It all comes down to how you treat and how you respond to the word of God on a daily basis and the confidence that you place in that word. In Isaiah, it says this, I think it's Isaiah 55. I didn't mean to say this today, but I'll look this up while I'm saying this. Isaiah 55, you might want to just go there. It says this, it, it talks about that, you know, my word shall not return to me void. My word shall not return to me void. Is it Isaiah 55? Yes, it is. Um, Isaiah 55 verse 11 says this, and this is important. I want you to get a hold of this. It says, so. It's, verse 11 says this, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please. God says, when my word goes out of my mouth, it does not come back to me empty. It does what I send it out to do. And, when, and that's why when Jesus said, that centurion said, you say a word, you declare that, I know your word will, will, will come to pass and it'll happen. But notice this, verse 11 starts, so shall my word be. Now, we don't start sentences, so shall my word be. Okay, that phrase, so shall my word be, is referencing the verse above, verse 10. And he's, he's saying that what I've just explained in verse 10 is the same way that my word works. So let me look at what he says in verse 10. Verse 10, he says this, for as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth. So in verse 10, he's talking about the rain. Let's leave the snow out of it for now. Let me just use the illustration with the rain. Talks about the rain coming down from heaven. The natural rain in the sky falls down and it waters the earth. Now, I don't know if, if you've ever seen nature programs where, um, uh, you know, they go through the four seasons. 
Um, maybe in Africa, you see, sometimes you, you see a nature program showing Africa and, and they'll show the dry season where there's drought for many, many years or, or months or whatever. And all the, all the, all the um, lakes and rivers dry up and, um, and, and the animals are struggling. There's no life. There's death everywhere. There's no plants growing. Nothing's happening because it's the dry season. And it's amazing. I, I don't know if you've ever seen those nature shows where they speed them up and suddenly the rainy season arrives. It comes out of the drain se uh, uh, dry season. Nothing's happening. There's no life. Nothing whatsoever is producing in that area. And suddenly one thing changes, rain. And the moment rain comes, you, you see these nature programs, they speed it up. And suddenly you, you, where there's been dry, dead, nothing growing, suddenly you see plants begin to spring up. And what caused that plant to spring up? Why did, did it just suddenly come out of nowhere? No, rain made the difference. What that, what that dry ground needed was rain. Suddenly all the animals which were dying and, and, and struggling, suddenly they got water, they drink, they're alive, they're running around, they're excited. The only thing that changed was rain. Suddenly, rain brought life to a dead, barren environment where nothing was producing, nothing was happening. When rain fell, it all changed. This is what he's saying here in Isaiah. He says this. He says, the, in the same way that the rain comes down and waters the earth, and then he says this, and makes it bring forth and bud. Makes it means it forces it. The rain makes that earth produce. It says, and makes the earth, makes it bring forth and bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. In other words, the dry ground where there's nothing producing, you introduce rain into that environment. That rain has the power to force production, has the power to force dry, dead, barren ground to produce and to cause things to change in that environment. The only thing that changed is rain. And after, talk, after saying that about as the rain comes down and it forces the earth into production, he then says in verse 11, so shall my word be. In other words, in the same way, my word does the same thing that rain does to dry ground. And he doesn't say so. all these other things, are, you know, you need 101 things. He says, you need my word. He says, you introduce my word into a dry, dead, barren situation where nothing is producing. There's no life. In fact, there's death everywhere. You introduce my word into that situation. My word has the same power that rain has in a natural dry environment. My word has the power to force production and to bring life. That's what this verse is saying. It says, my word will go out. It'll do as the rain does on dry ground. It'll cause a change in that environment and it'll force production and it'll, and it'll accomplish what I sent it out to do. See, this, this verse also is there to, to, to show us that, that our confidence in the power of the word of God. God, God, is, God wants more and more people to start having greater confidence in the power of his word. That Roman centurion had great faith because he was humble. Lord, I'm not worthy that you come under my roof. Speak a word and my servant will be healed. He showed absolute confidence and didn't doubt, didn't question. But he also said this. He said, only speak a word. All I need is a word because I have confidence in the power 
of those words. And then he understood authority. When, when a command is given, it'll be obeyed. Those are the four characteristics of this man's faith. Every, every one of those four, you put them together, you've got great faith. Okay? So as I said, you can have great faith today. It's not going to take 10 years. You, you, may, you make up your mind to start putting into practice what I've been teaching here today and in the last sessions and the hum, hum, humility of approach, showing confidence in God and to begin to have greater confidence in the power of the spoken word where you begin to believe that when the word of God is introduced into your situation, that word has the power to produce and to bring life where there's been death. That is great faith. This man got his results because of that. His faith impressed Jesus. Now, I want to have faith that impresses Jesus. I don't know about you, and I hope you all do as well. But I believe we can have it. So this is the first of the two with great faith. We're going to look next week at the next one with great faith. And she, she is the, the last of all of the people who approach Jesus. And after that, we're going to go on to the ones that Jesus went to. We're going to look at a completely different set of principles. But um, but. I really hope that, as you've seen, all of these teachings so far are building a picture. And uh, all of this is building us toward, towards the place where we can all walk in great faith. So when we approach God, you put these principles into practice in your approach and show that confidence in God. You can be a people who walk in great faith and, and receive because great faith receives. Amen. So thank you very much for, for joining us again. And I just, I, I just, I just let me pray for you now. Father God, I thank you for everybody who's listening live and the people who listen to the recordings. Father, I just thank you right now in the name of Jesus that your blessing is upon them. Father, I thank you that as they've heard the word, the word of God's read and spoken today, I thank you that that life, uh, that, that power of the reign of the word of God to change their situations and to bring life into dry situations, I thank you that your word is working and, and in each one of them. And we just thank you for that. We give you praise 